Welcome to the All Swell podcast, a student-led podcast in partnership with the Coastal Society and the American Shoreline Podcast Network. We are following the motto, where there's a will, there's a wave. Hi, my name is Genevieve. And I'm Kira. And together, we are one half of the All Is Swell hosting team, consisting of different TCS chapters along the East Coast. We're so excited to have you here for our very first episode. First of all, we want to thank the American Shoreline Podcast Network for this great opportunity to communicate current issues at the coast and the way we were contributing to solving them. In this podcast, you will be introduced to trending topics along the coast, ranging from fisheries to environmental justice to harvesting wave energy. We're not solely looking at the issues and problems, but foster a conversation and showcase people who are working on solving these problems. And since we are graduate students who are still learning about these topics, we speak to science experts in the field, but also include practitioners and community members to create a space where all coastal perspectives can be shared. So let us take you on this journey along the coast, where we will learn about whether it all swell or not. If we have already lost you in the jungle of terminology, don't fret. This podcast should be fun and digestible for everyone who is interested in coastal issues. Therefore, each episode will not only feature a topic, but also explain terms that are maybe not common in everyday language. So without further ado, thanks for tuning in today. We're going to talk about our mother organization, the Coastal Society, what it does, and a little bit about what our specific chapter at East Carolina University is up to how the two of us got here, and what we are excited about. And lastly, we would start our discussion on interdisciplinary research, as the particular PhD program we are in is a prime example for this type of science. But first, a brief message from our sponsors. The American Shoreline Podcast Network and CoastalNewsToday.com are brought to you by LJA Engineering. With 28 offices along the Gulf Coast, the folks at LJA Engineering are at the top of the craft in the areas of coastal restoration, coastal infrastructure, rivers and channels, numerical modeling, disaster recovery, and design and construction oversight. Be sure to check out their brand new Coastal Resilience Department, headed up by ASPN's own Peter Ravella. Find them at LJA.com. Be sure to subscribe to the Coastal News Today Daily Blast newsletter at CoastalNewsToday.com for daily updates on the events and news that shape the coastal discussion. Want to support the discussion and promote your company? We have sponsorship packages available now. Email me to learn more at Chloe at CoastalNewsToday.com. That's C-H-L-O-E at CoastalNewsToday.com. Hope to hear from you and enjoy the show. Let's first talk about the organization we are part of. The Coastal Society, or TCS in short, is a 501c3 organization that unites practitioners, government professionals, academics, and students to discuss coastal topics. Since 1975, the very ambitious goal has been to bridge between the different backgrounds to foster dialogue and increase the visibility and accessibility of coastal issues to a broader audience through communication and education. This sounds like a mouthful. <laughs> to break it down, we are connecting practitioners and scientists working on the coast over important topics by organizing talk series, conferences, and workshops. Furthermore, TCS is also active as a student organization on currently six campi across the US. Besides our chapter, the one at East Carolina University or ECU in Greenville, North Carolina, 
There are two other chapters in North Carolina, at Duke and Durham, and UNC Wilmington in Wilmington, and two more on the East Coast, at Ecker College in Florida and University of Rhode Island in Kinston, Rhode Island. And let's not forget about our friends on the West Coast at Oregon State University. Go Beavers! <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, thank you. Together, we are trying to elevate coastal issues, and we are going to talk about our current and future efforts here at East Carolina in a few. If you have tuned in this very first episode and listened to our voices, you must have been dying to know who the people behind those voices are. So let us introduce ourselves properly. Genevieve, I think we should start with you. <laughs> I am honored. Thank you so much. Um, so I am a PhD student in the Integrated Coastal Sciences program at ECU. I am based in the Outer Banks at the Coastal Studies Institute. And I'm going to start off with giving you guys a little a brief about where I was born and how I got here today. So I am a military brat who was born on Fort Bragg in Fayetteville, North Carolina, or the Ville, as a popular rapper J. Cole says. Um, but I have made my way back um, because of my love for the coast. My dad grew up in the low country of South Carolina near Winyaw Bay, home to the North Inlet Winyaw National Research Reserve. I, however, mainly grew up outside of Kansas City and Nashville, Tennessee, so I always wanted to come back to the coast. I've been very lucky to have several hometowns, but every time I got to visit the coast, I felt like I was at home. I'm grateful for this because it gives me the perspective as a coastal visitor, but also as a local. And so North Inlet is home to the University of South Carolina's Marine Science Labs that made my college decision pretty easy. Though my mom will tell you that I went there for college football and maybe that's, maybe that's right, go Gamecocks. After I got my Marine Science degree, I moved to Wilmington, North Carolina to pursue my master's in coastal and ocean policy. I decided this because I studied abroad in Australia and was inspired by the conservation measures I saw to protect the Great Barrier Reef. Coming back to North Carolina was really important to me and Wilmington was my best fit. While I was there, I got to work and study on the coast almost every day, either waitressing or working as an environmental tour guide. I mention all of this because recently I've realized that this is what drives my studies because I am interested in how humans interact at the coast and how our health is potentially affected. Kira, could you please share how you ended up at ECU and what keeps you motivated to work on the coast? Oh, wow. Um, well, motivation is a big word. Um, good. Maybe I start with the obvious or what some people ask when they first meet me. They ask, where is home? I am born and raised on the other side of the Atlantic, more precisely in the beautiful city of Zurich, Switzerland. Switzerland is a great country. It is very clean, people are very friendly, and the public transport system is hard to beat. But it lacks one very important thing. My home country is landlocked. As much as I love the mountains, I always had a deep-rooted, almost spiritual fascination for the ocean. With my family, I spent many summers on the coast in neighboring countries like Italy, France, or Germany, but not until recently I was able to finally live where other people spent their vacation at. Because I wanted to learn how the world works, at least from a societal perspective, I enrolled in business and economics for my undergrad and continued to become an economist with a focus on institutional and development economics. 
However, I never lost my interest in the natural world, and upon graduating my master's, I realized I wanted to use my understanding about the ways in which people behave to solve some of the big problems we are facing today, first and foremost, global climate change. Even though I had some of the tools, I felt ill-equipped to tackle these big problems because I did not spend enough time studying the natural system. That's when I stumbled across this PhD program at ECU, which offered me a way to use my previous social sciences and economics background and enhance my knowledge in the areas I was insecure about to put together the human behavioral side and the natural environmental side. Even though I am still working on putting together my dissertation proposal and some of my PhD research is uh, still not really set in stone, I know that I want to be able to understand how human behavior feeds back into natural processes on the coast and how different interventions affect these interactions. Oh my, I just held a monologue without even answering your question. <laughs> um, what keeps me motivated is that I feel my work has a purpose. I want to be able to shape the current discussion on a future that is worth living along the lines of not being part of the problem, but being part of the solution. Thanks for sharing, Kira. Um, I remember when we met and how we bonded over having that family connection on the coast, and it was it was really important. And this is something we share with many of our classmates and the TCS club at ECU. Kira and I became vice president and president respectively, but I view us as a duo. Mm -hmm. Kira, what were some of your goals when we started leading the organization? Um, well, I guess since we started our PhD in 2019 and joined TCS, we already saw the huge potential this organization could have in connecting the students interested in coastal issues with the faculty and the community. And we were looking to organize community events to raise awareness of the environmental issues around us. However, with the world plunging into a global pandemic, not soon after we have taken office, our possibilities were very limited. <laughs> yeah, uh, it has been a rough year for student organizations, but we were able to make some meaningful connections with some other student organizations on campus. And once in-person events were allowed again in the spring of 2021, we leaped at the opportunity to organizing our first community event. Yeah, actually, that was a lot of fun. We cleaned up the Tar River, the river that flows through Greenville, where ECU is located. And we worked together with another student organization, Pirates on Water, from the Water Resources Center at ECU and two NGOs, Sound Rivers and Raw Plastic, and also another um, adventure organization even, Knee Deep Adventures. We were even donated coffee from a local shop around the corner to keep us all motivated. And we had such a great turnout for the first event. Around 70 people participated by either walking on land or paddling with canoes and kayaks on the water. We removed so much trash. <laughs> One of our themes in this episode is interdisciplinary. And at this cleanup, there were so many people from different backgrounds and departments within the university. And we all had a common goal of keeping the river clean. Yeah, these events really serve uh, are serving to open the eyes of people. For example, how much of the plastic they're using is ending up in the river. Maybe even serves to rethink their consumer behavior down the line. We gave up prizes in form of vouchers to local businesses for people who found the most interesting pieces. 
Genevieve, do you remember what the weirdest things were we found? (laughs) I'm already smiling because those things were pretty hilarious. The most memorable one, though, was a pair of boxer briefs (laughs) with a pizza print on it specifically pepperoni. And there was a part of a Schwinn bicycle, which I believe may have been upcycled because a lot of people were asking about it when we were closing um, to the end of our cleanup. And so overall, it, it was just a great day and a great way to spend time with our members and meet others. And I got to give thanks to our other TCS chapters for sharing their events and planning ideas. The larger TCS student community has been an invaluable resource so far. Oh, yeah, (laughs) I remember those. It really makes you wonder how it got there in the first place. (laughs) Um, But back to the more serious talk, we're really happy to being able to use this organization as a vehicle to tie together the Duke campi at ECU, the Greenville campus and the Outer Banks campus. We want to be able to involve all the communities where we conduct research. Personally, I think that is that is the one thing, the one important task we have as scientists, being part of the community and benefiting the community with the knowledge we're generating and the knowledge they can share. Kira, you just talked about the Outer Banks campus, and I don't think we've given our listeners a really good idea about where we are located and what we were actually talking about as we're sitting here at the office talking <laughs> about these things. <laughs> So at ECU, there are two main locations. The main campus is located in Greenville, North Carolina, about an hour and a half drive east from Raleigh. And then there's the Outer Banks campus, which is also called the Coastal Studies Institute, or CSI, which is in Wanchese, North Carolina, on this barrier island chain known as the Outer Banks. Yeah, CSI, as um, not that CSI, but the Coastal <laughs> Studies Institute <laughs> is sitting like a spaceship on the marsh, and it's right next to one of the best fishing towns to get fresh seafood. Bet you haven't seen our office on the Netflix hit Outer Banks. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't think so, but uh, the goal of CSI is to foster an environment for research, education, and community outreach, embracing the unique culture and history of the maritime counties of northeastern North Carolina. We are located in a very dynamic environment. We are literally sitting on a moving sandbar. With all the elements acting on the environment, it's not hard to see the connection between this environment and the science that is happening inside. The strength of the center is to is be, to being home to a wide variety of students from different disciplines. Oh, I said students. Look at me, like automatically assuming students and scientists from different disciplines, all working together to solve some of our most pressing problems on the coast. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) now that there is a term for you that we have used, but not done a really good job in explaining. Research is called interdisciplinary if it integrates perspectives and methods from different disciplines to increase the understanding of interconnected problems. That's some of the work we are doing at CSI. But we don't want to leave it at that. At the beginning of this episode, we promised you some more information on interdisciplinary science. So that is what we are going to do for the remainder of the show. Sometimes the best place to start with is a simple textbook definition. A quick Google search will tell you that interdisciplinary means relating to more than one branch of knowledge. Yeah, I think that's a great place to start, especially using the term branch. 
There are more technical definitions that define the term as involving two or more academic, scientific, or artistic disciplines. And though there has been a lot of back and forth with definitions, there is a common theme of using interdisciplinary studies to expand knowledge and learn about different methodologies. Sometimes learning about different methodologies has to start out by doing something as simple as finding a shared lexicon for all the people involved. For example, in marine science, many times you will hear people refer to areas off the coast as NPAs or marine protected areas, areas where no fishing or other harvesting is allowed. However, the acronym MPA could also be referred to as the Masters in Public Administration. <laughs> and I learned this the hard way during my master's. <laughs> yeah, um, I have an example as well. Before I have started studying geology, I would have understood uh, understood fault differently. A fault in geology, according to the U.S. Geological Survey, is a fracture or zone of fractures between two blocks of rock. Whereas for any other discipline, a fault is maybe considered a mistake. And scientists do not always agree on how to name concepts they are thinking about. Systems is a very good word that frequently gets lost in translation between the disciplines. Also, the latest buzzwords such as sustainability or resilience need to be defined first at the start of an interdisciplinary research venture. Otherwise, different researchers might have different goals in mind. I like that you use the word systems, and I think that's a theme we're going to see in the next coming weeks when we bring different guests. But with this, these shared lexicas and a common understanding about what is that should be the outcome of the research, the most pressing and so-called wicked problems can be tackled. Something we are constantly talking about is climate change and the way it affects the coast. If we would only look at this from, say, a fisheries perspective, we would probably just look at how a change in ocean temperature affects the fish stocks in the area. But if we include sociology or anthropology, which both study humans, we might get a better understanding about how these stock changes affect the people that live in that area. And if we then include economics, we also see how that changes the prosperity in the region. Maybe changing ocean temperatures also affect the ocean currents, which would then require the knowledge of oceanography. Or maybe there's some corals in the area, and then we would need to look into biology. I guess everyone can see where we are trying to get with this. Yeah, we definitely need all hands on deck if we want to be able to solve the current crisis, and that requires interdisciplinary research. Um, there is one catch-22, though. To conduct interdisciplinary research, we need people who are willing and able to work with other scientists from different disciplines. And in the best case scenario, not only scientists, but community members, practitioners, and the government. And that is where programs like the one we are currently in come into play. We need people that are educated to navigate the fine line between the disciplines and are not afraid of asking seemingly stupid questions. Seemingly stupid maybe sounds a little condescending. What do you mean? Uh, it's actually not meant to be condescending at all. Humans are inherently curious, and that is a great feature of our species. But we are also shaped by the people around us, the society we live in. So if you think of a child, it will naturally ask a lot of questions to increase its understanding of the world. As we grow older, though, we are being told that there are good or 
intelligent questions and bad or stupid questions. Following, we unlearn to ask completely unbiased questions because we are afraid of asking something that is considered stupid. That makes a lot of sense. I like that description. Why do you think asking questions is so important for this field? Uh, yes, I had to start a little further down the road on this one. Uh, what it means that we are, or we as scientists have to relearn to ask questions that might sound stupid to someone who has been studying this very subject for the entirety of their career. If I am talking to um, a chemist, for example, and I can't follow them, even though they are talking about something that is trivial in their discipline, like photosynthesis or the way plants generate energy from sunlight and water, I cannot be afraid to ask them this very banal question. I agree. And at the end of the day in this field, there is no such thing as a stupid question. As you've said, that to be an interdisciplinary scientist, you have to understand what the other scientists are doing, even though you have not studied their particular subject before. Yes, that is crucial. And even though I do not have to do their work, I still need to know what it is they can bring to the research project in terms of methods and knowledge which is not always easy. That is why this quote has somehow stuck with me um, that really is important for our what we do in our PhD daily. And that is interdisciplinary curricula are time consuming and it takes collaborative teamwork to create them, which can seem like hard and exhausting disadvantage. But in the end of the day, the interdisciplinary approach inhibits many favored skills that are sought by future colleges and employers. Students and their teachers will advance in critical thinking, communication, creativity, and essential academia with the use of interdisciplinary techniques. This quote comes from a paper by Casey Jones, which was published around 10 years ago. And if any listeners are interested, you can quickly access this paper from Google Scholar, and we will leave a reference in the podcast description. So, um, yeah, it's not a brand new idea, but also not as established as one might hope. Programs like ours are still figuring out how to exactly navigate the in-between space, and so do all the scientists around the globe who are involved in this work. Yes, I am also constantly learning more about what we are trying to achieve. And at first, when I started on this journey, I thought interdisciplinary just meant mixing subjects like biology and chemistry together. I have come to learn a lot more than that, that the approach has come far in the last two decades. When I was at South, the University of South Carolina, we never discussed interdisciplinary science, even though in a way we were doing it. My main discipline within marine science was biology, but I took chemical oceanography and physical oceanography. And while inherently it was interdisciplinary, we didn't discuss the importance of that or how to navigate between different disciplines. And as I've applied to countless jobs over the years, I have kept seeing the word pop up more and more. Yeah, same here. In my home discipline of economics, we also just very recently started to include other worldviews, learning from other fields of research, what could be interesting to include. I have to say, though, even though interdisciplinary research offers a lot, like there are almost endless possibilities of combining different approaches to do research, it is not all sunshine and rainbows. 
<laughs> no, that would be too easy. And where would be the fun in that? Uh, so what do you view as some of the critiques and wrongs with interdisciplinary science? Nothing I feel is generally speaking wrong with it, but there are a lot of barriers, starting with the timing. Interdisciplinary research takes up way more time than research that is conducted within a single discipline. It's just not as easy to bring everyone to a table and a shared idea of how the problem should be approached. And there is the difficulty of a missing common language that we have already talked about. Yeah. Uh, so going back to that quote I mentioned earlier, do you agree that this kind of research is way more time consuming? Yes. Um, that's a definite yes. <laughs> and that is not always easy if you are looking to finish a project within a certain time limit. For example, if you have a research grant, like money from a third party to carry out a certain task. Or, you know, say, try and finish your PhD in four years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that too. So uh, more time requires more money. And the outcome might also be different from what the donor of the money had in mind. Oh, yeah, there may be too many cooks in the kitchen. I can see that. <laughs> well, yes, that's a part of it. Another question that needs to be asked before starting an interdisciplinary research pro project is, do the question or does the question necessarily need to be answered with an interdisciplinary approach? That's a great point. That would be good to know from the start. So we don't spend the time and money doing something we may not even need. And also, or at least that is what we have learned so far, all scientists have to be patient with each other and support each other, especially since they know how difficult it is to see the world from a different perspective. Yes, exactly. Thank you for adding that. This might be probably the most important quality we have to cultivate as interdisciplinary scientists. Patience. <laughs> yes. So in a nutshell, interdisciplinary research is like working on a very, very big group project. Thank you, Kira, for giving us such a great background and really getting our start of understanding interdisciplinary research. I know you discussed earlier a little bit about why you came to ECU to this interdisciplinary degree. Could you go into a little more detail on why you chose to ride this wave and why you are still going? Of course, that's quite an interesting question, especially regarding my background in everything but coastal sciences. I have already told you that I have a degree in economics. I also do have a degree in development aid. However, progressing through my education, I realized that I'm not equipped with the understanding I wanted to have to work to solve our current environmental issues. I guess my thirst for more knowledge and different knowledge led me to my current degree in integrated coastal sciences. I wanted to work on issues on the coast, on understanding why people are acting pro-environmentally or not, and I wanted to understand how that behavior can be translated to environmental outcomes. Even though the answers I'm getting can be frustrating at times, it is also rewarding to see that our work as scientists has an impact. For example, if we are working together with the community and they're seeing that the dialogue is shifting, that people start to pay more attention to how they are influencing the environment and, for example, start conserving water or not throwing their trash out on the beach. By talking to other researchers, but also people around me, and by not being judgmental, I am able to see these issues through different lenses. 
and might be able to come up with a solution that is acceptable to the people involved and their environment. How about you, Genevieve? I bet your story is a little different from mine. What brought you here and what keeps you going? Uh, thanks, Kira. And I am always so interested by how you describe human behavior. I think it's so great. And yes, I guess my story is a, a little bit different. Uh, but so coming to ECU, um, this was a natural progression from my, my master's. I was lucky enough to go to UNCW where they had just recently started an interdisciplinary program out of their public administration department. That's where the MPA story came from. Um, and I wrote down a word in one of my notebooks on why I wanted to pursue a PhD, and it said coastal advocate. And I still come back to that page a lot because, as we've alluded to, interdisciplinary studies can be very fascinating but also very frustrating. And I wrote this down in my notebook when I was taking a break in between my studies and was fortunate enough to teach kids on the coast near Charleston, South Carolina, through Clemson University. Uh-oh, rival. <laughs> but shout out to my coworkers from there because they were a big motivating factor for me to pursue this, and they really believed in me. And that time in my life is definitely one of the waves that I use to keep going in this process. A lot of the kids that I met and had the opportunity to teach and share the coast motivate me to continue being a better coastal advocate. Right now, even though there are a lot of hard days and external barriers, I think I'm at the best place in becoming that. Currently, I learn from anthropologists, toxicologists, uh, you name it, and I want to learn more about it. And this is evolving me into becoming an interdisciplinary scientist. And speaking of quote-unquote job title, <laughs> a question that comes up a lot in this field is how do you refer to yourself? Oh my, um, I sometimes call myself a hydroeconomist or maybe even behavioral hydroeconomist to add more sophisticated sounding words. Uh, what about yourself? Oh gosh, <laughs> um, I probably change this a lot, but first and foremost, I am a student who is an interdisciplinary marine scientist. Oh, I like that. Yeah, we uh, never really stop learning. So thank you all so much for listening to the first episode of our podcast. We really wanted to discuss this subject before we talk about special coastal topics and bring in guests. At the end of the day, if you're involved in coastal issues or the environment, you're involved in interdisciplinary work, and it takes all of us to find solutions. Thanks again for listening to the All Is Well podcast, y'all. And if you find yourself in the Outer Banks, you've got some guaranteed tour guides. We'll show you everything that Netflix doesn't cover. <laughs> <laughs> Next week, we will hand the mic over to our friends and fellow TCS members at Duke University. Thanks again to the American Shoreline Podcast Network for this great opportunity to introduce the Coastal Society, our chapter, and the world of interdisciplinary research to y'all. One last thing before we sign off. If you have any questions, want us to cover a topic, or suggest a person to be interviewed for this podcast, please feel free to reach out to us through email or social media. For the ECU chapter, you can find us on Instagram at, at ECUTCS and Twitter at, at CoastalAt, and we'll be sure to put those in the bio for you. Thank, Thank you, and, and remember, remember, where there's, there's a will, there's a wave. wave.